This episode is brought to you by Square. If you run a restaurant or business, Square has the tools to help you stay connected to your customers. Shift your business and navigate this uniquely challenging time. Learn more at square.com slash go slash snacky. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to Snacky Tunes. I am one half your host, Darren Bresnitz. Hope everyone at home is out there staying safe, staying healthy, staying positive. Doing what you can to take a little moment to check in with yourself, check in with your community. We will all get through this together. And, you know, it's tough, but there's a lot of love and a lot of hope. And uh, we're here for you. We are really excited to have two old friends of Snacky Tunes on the show. First one up is Brianna from Homestate, a.k.a. Breezy. She sits down and talks with us about how they have... uh, pivoted to being a general store, how they're helping feed the community, and just um, staying positive during this time. And then we have Alex Rose, aka Canyon Counterpoint, on the show, playing live, talking about her new Bandcamp demo release compilation, playing some new songs. We have a Snacky Tunes exclusive with an unreleased song that she plays for us. It's really good. We have a couple of laughs, sort of... uh, I don't know, talk about South by and the mischief we all get into when we're down there. So please sit back, relax, and enjoy some snacky tunes on heritageradionetwork.org. We talk about food, we talk about music, with musical dudes, finger on the pulse, snacky tunes.
destruction of the fire following ephemeral bloom, could we be within and without this structure of glamour? Oh, for now. Breezy, welcome back to Snacky Tunes. Thank you so much for taking time out of your busy schedule to sit down and chat with us. It is good to hear your voice. Thanks, Darren. Thanks for having me. And it's really good to hear your voice too. So we are about six to eight weeks into the pandemic. um, And obviously you have uh, kept the restaurants going. But before we get into sort of the nuts and bolts of what you've been doing, how are you feeling? I think I'm feeling, I think I'm feeling good. I mean, some days I'm super energized by the challenge. I think anyone in restaurants is wired for challenge and hard work and solutions. And other days I, you know, I think every, yesterday I had a day where I felt a little overwhelmed by it all, but you know, just got back right back into it today and feeling energized again. So I think like all of us, it's been a bit of a, a roller coaster. But, you know, like just like restaurants always have been, Homestay continues to occupy like so much of my heart and soul and physical and mental um, capabilities. So it just doesn't really leave, leave too much time to think like, how do I feel? So, but I think I feel, I think I feel really good, all things considered. (laughs) I mean, that's, that's really good. And as these weeks stretch on and, and as this looks like it's going to be the way that the restaurant's going to be run and lives are going to be for the next few months, I think it's okay to have the good days and the bad days, just like before this all happened. Yeah. Yeah. So... 
You have three different locations, uh, Hollywood, Highland Park, Playa Vista. And obviously they're spread out over LA for those who are not familiar uh, with the geography of the city. How was each store affected differently and how were the communities around each store affected differently? Good question. Cause I, I've always thought of them as such unique beings, like, like children, you know, they're all very, um, they have a lot of similarities, but they are very different because of the neighborhoods that they're in and how long they've been open and how, you know, the layout and the patio and, but anyhow, um, you know, we, in Hollywood, that's a location that we've had for the longest at six, been there for six and a half years. So we have, a deep connection to the neighborhood and we also happen to be surrounded by hospitals. So we felt, you know, that our friends, the people that have been coming from the very beginning, the people that work on the hospitals that we see for breakfast, lunch, and dinner were going through something really difficult. And we were hearing, of course, just like everybody else, that there was a shortage of um, of food and, and some of the, the shelves were barren. And so it was like a realization that we really needed to do anything we could to help um, play a role in supporting the community. And um, so that was what triggered kind of our response and our pivot. And that was the first shift we made as a company and, you know, to pivot to a general store. So we did like everybody else have to close our dining rooms and we were trying to keep things going as normal um, with our full menu and just, you know, now you have to pick up at the door curbside, but we really quickly realized that wasn't tenable. So we had to pivot to a reduced menu and what we call the general store. So we were able to utilize access to our vendors and still bring in things like flour and eggs and milk and, um, that those were items that we knew people were having a hard time finding. So that really allowed us a way to continue connecting to our community and engaging and talking with, it was just really an amazing opportunity to even deepen our connection with our community because it was, I, I told our team, it's a bit ironic, you know, we can't have people in the dining room. We can't host them like we used to and play um, like have music on the patio, but we can still, it's, it's ironic because I think our connection has deepened because we have kind of made a commitment to them that, to be here for them from, to meet their needs. And we've been able to figure it out, thankfully, that, you know, a way to continue to serve them. So the Highland Park location was a bit of the same. You know, we we launched the general store in Hollywood, like with our pants on fire, and then, then we did it the following week over at Highland Park. We closed the Playa Vista store because that happened to be a neighborhood that was surrounded by business. So we quickly saw what was a thriving community kind of turned to a little bit of a ghost town. And so we did try and keep it up, keep the restaurant open, um, doing curbside and takeout. But we realized that there just wasn't enough demand there. So we closed the restaurant for five weeks and we actually just reopened it. And so that was a really good thing. Um, And we opened it as a general store to serve the community who we know was really patroning one 
store, one gen, um, one grocery store in Whole Foods. And I, I mean, I've heard that the line is like 50 people deep. So again, you know, com- deep trying to deepen our, our presence, our commitment to those newer neighbors and letting them know that we're there for them as well. So I think your dedication to the community uh, is really powerful. I can speak from personal experience that Anna and I and, and Josephine have all benefited from the pantry. I would say we're there once a week. And especially in the early days, um, knowing that you could, we could get flour there, we could get eggs, we could get milk, we could get cheese, we could mm-hmm. get toilet paper, mm-hmm. really alleviated some of the stress of not having to go to a store, uh, not having to try and get it online. And, you know, I, I can see the emotional why you did it and, and the dedication. Um, and as some businesses look to also pivot that way, how did you physically implement this? Like, what did you do to get this off the ground and to get it streamlined? Because it's, it is on the outside, it may look like, oh, they're just putting groceries out. But I have to imagine that it is a bigger shift in running that type of business. It's a massive shift. I mean, I, I congratulated the team the other day for opening up a new business. I feel like we had, we, we truly did shutter one and open another in a very short amount of time. And the learning curve was really steep. We've never been groceries before. We don't know how to price grocery items. We, you know, managing inventory of a different kind of product was a brand new thing for us. One of the things we needed to quickly invest money into was refrigeration for the general mm. store. So we yeah. wanted to offer ready-to-eat food. So if you wanted to buy, um, you know, a, a big container of brisket or um, if you wanted to, you know, buy a gallon of milk and, or, or eggs, I mean, that requires quite a bit of refrigeration in addition to what we already needed just to keep the small uh, taco and queso menu going. So we... We're just on the, I was on the phone just trying to track down refrigeration. We took all the refrigerators from Playa. We brought them over. We were like, (laughs) it was a logistical challenge, you know, to rent trucks and bring in refrigeration. Apparently I I heard from a few people that refrigerators were a really in demand item because several, you know, businesses are trying to pivot their, their in the same way. So bringing in a lot of refrigeration, integrating those the refrigeration into the dining rooms and creating a, a flow chart, essentially, of how food would move and how people would move through a space where we have committed to a six-foot distancing, um, not committed, but mandated and committed to, to ha- allow a six-foot distancing. So within our kitchen, we limited the menu to very few taco items. We did something that we've never done before. And that was to say, we cannot modify your taco. And that's something at home state that people love that I love mm-hmm. to, be able to offer that has always been a challenge, but something that we know is so critical to making people feel taken care of. And we, it was a, a difficult thing for me personally to have, and for our team to say, no, we can't take off the bacon from your taco, or we can't add um, guacamole to your taco. And the reason for that, I mean, and, and, and you can't say all of these things to a guest who's just trying to order a taco um, and who really wants that familiarity and the comfort of their home state, their favorite home state taco. But you have, you, you know, we had to, as a team, unify 
um, have a united front that we weren't going to do that because it started to it would create more movement within the kitchen. So if I was to say, okay, Darren, like, yeah, you can have your Trinity um, with no bacon. And then why could I not, you know, that would be easy. We could leave that off. But what, why then can I not tell Anna that she should not, um, that she can't have um, black beans and avocado added to her taco? So we knew that by saying, by allowing those modifications that we would have increased movement within the kitchen. Cause I, now I need to go get avocados cause they're not at my station. And now I need to go get the beans cause those are also not at my station. So we had to reduce the traffic. And so that was a big way that we had, you know, that we were able to commit to our team that we were going to support them in that, in that ability to not move and to keep the station. That was a big thing. I know that you pride yourself on on customer service and you can feel the warmth there of working with the customer so they really do enjoy themselves. And so I know that even though it might seem small that you can't put black beans or guacamole or something like that on an order, I, I know that that is that's tough because in many ways it's it's a re-education of your of your customers who might be looking forward to the order that they've had every week and, and are finding comfort in a taco and things like that. Um, and I know that reeducating the public in a way that they need to interact with the restaurant has been a, a long and evolving process. Um, you know, I recently saw a post of yours uh, talking about how having a mask now is mandatory and that's what you need to serve people. And I know that those types of posts are not easy to put up because in many ways it's, it's, uh, a very forceful direct post to those who are not practicing that. How have you struck that balance of, of customer service and warmth and the customer is always right versus those sort of mandates to keep everyone safe? That's a really good question. And it's not been easy because we are, you know, if you walk outside of Homestate on Highland Park, you don't really see much. It's just, it's, you know, for a while, cookbook closed, they reopened. There are wonderful neighbors um, who operate a small grocery store. But really, other than that, it's just us. So we are the ones interacting with people who are out, you know, trying to have some normal activity. And, you know, for us to say we, we, are, not, we are not able to serve you, it is drawing a line in the sand. Because I have, I have recently felt like... Um, I don't know, like a, a mom, like a protector, like a, not that dads aren't protectors, but I'm a woman. So I feel like a mom, like <laughs> my family, of the, I guarantee, I'm, I'm trying to guarantee and reassure them of their own safety. And because of that, because of that commitment, because I have, I have decided to keep the, the company and the restaurants open in the way that they're open, I have, I, I have never felt this way before, but I, do, I is a hard line in the sand that I am absolutely willing to draw because the alternative is not keeping my commitment to my, to the team and to myself. Like if I'm going to do this and if we're going to do this, we're going to do it in the safest way possible. We will not cut corners and we will not compromise. And it is one of the most exhausting things I've ever done yeah. because you know, you are, 
not only re-educating the public, but you're re-edu- re-educating your team. Your team has has not doesn't know the restaurant any other way. You know, they're still interacting with their friends, who they their coworkers, and they're still packing the bags of tacos. So, so many of these things are familiar, but how we do them has to change. So it has become something that is, I, I'm so hardwired now that, that make, we have, without exception, we will take the path that is the safest path. And if that means that we can't, we have to upset somebody because we are requiring a face covering, then that's what's, that's the outcome. And that's not, I don't feel bad about it. I it's feel a like partnership with the public. Do. Yeah, it is a partnership with one another, and we are in this together. And I, I just, I don't feel bad about it. I feel like we, it's my responsibility, and it's a big responsibility. I take it very seriously. I know that I would be upset if a handful of people ruined it for all of us, especially those who have come to rely on it. If you were, if you were on, I were to come up and. You were standing there with your mask on, and we, as home school, allowed somebody to stand next to you six feet away without a mask on. You would feel like, why is in home state? Why, why are they not providing a safer environment for me? You're going to go back home to your family, and you were put in, you know, compromised situation because we did not enforce that. So it's absolutely on us to provide that safety, not just for our team, but for you as well. I get it. Um, All right. We're going to take a quick musical break. And then when we come back, we're going to talk about one of the biggest benefits of, of this whole change, which is the margaritas to go. And then I also want to talk about the charity work that you've been doing because you've been um, doing a couple different things on a couple different fronts. So here's a band from the archives here on snacky tunes on heritage radio network.
Welcome back to Snacky Tunes. We are on the phone with Breezy of Home State, and I'm not going to lie or sugarcoat it, but my alcohol intake has been up over the last few weeks. Uh, it ebbs and flows, and some weeks are harder than others. And one of my drinks of choice has been the Home State Margarita to go. Which, you know, the idea of being able to buy booze to go, at least in California, six, seven, eight weeks ago, was unfathomable. But since we're here and it's the new, the new, the new reality, I'm very excited about it. You know, obviously, you know, no one's drinking and driving. Um, but the fact that you can get margaritas, spicy palomas, you know, different sort of drinks, uh, Shinerbach from the store – is fantastic. And I have to imagine there, there are also some business benefits of being able to sell drinks to go as well. What made you want to have a robust drink program to go and how does it help the bottom line? Good question. Um, we, right after the closure of bars and restaurants and the realization that all of our lives were changed, I think a lot of people were looking to have a cocktail at the end of the day just to cope. And we were getting a lot of requests on Instagram and email um, to ask if we were selling our margaritas. And we thought, wouldn't that be nice? We Mm -hmm. can't. Like, we can't, but we hear you and we agree. But then thank you, ABC, for coming out so swiftly and making change to support businesses because – you're right. Unfathomable. We could have never imagined that this would be something that we would be allowed to do. But ABC had, I don't, I don't know how it happened so fast, but it really was a huge gift to, um, to our guests and to the business because the second that we started selling them um, to go, they were flying. I mean, we were running out every day. I think one, a couple of weekends ago, we sold like 900 servings in one day at the, at the three locations. It was so, it's been so insane. We've had to hire a full-time assistant for our main um, margarita sommelier. <laughs> I don't know what to call him. He makes all of our um, margaritas and palomas. And it's a lot of work. We hand juice. Um, well, we, we now have a machine to help us, but we juice fresh all of our citrus and it's a 24 hour process. It's a really intense. And so we all, we, we're excited and we're grateful to have the, the, the demand. And I think it's brought a lot of, it's brought, it's brought a certain amount of joy to people's life. I mean, of course, everybody likes to have a cocktail, but there's something so, something very playful and comforting about the home state Paloma and Margarita. And I have to tell you, I've also been like living for that Paloma at the end of the day, just like I look mm-hmm. forward to it. It's bright. It's cheerful. It reminds me of sitting on a patio. I channel that feeling. And I think a lot of us are utilizing <laughs> outlet just to kind of channel those kind of carefree moments. So, um, but yeah, it's been really helpful for us to have a, a product that, um, I don't know, not just a product, but a menu that is multi, has, has layers within it. So if you and your family are going to need to order dinner, you might think about, oh, we should order from Homestate. We should order some of you know, the new enchiladas that they're doing. They're so easy. They're comforting. They are. 
beautiful. They're high quality and they're so yummy. Mm-hmm. Um, something we, again, we've never done before. And, you know, I actually need some broccolini tonight or, or tomorrow. And I need some garlic. Oh my gosh, I have that. And I need some eggs and milk. And then why not have, like, let's treat ourselves. Let's get a Paloma as well. So it's just kind of like this amazing one-stop shop. Um, you can even get a whole chicken or ground beef. I mean, it's yep. just so funny. Um, but really everything that we're offering, and you know, including the margaritas, is really to kind of make it really if you if you really wanted to just have a one-stop shop grocery store in your neighborhood, that's home state. It can be we're just trying to be what you need it to be, um, or what you need us to be for you right now. And the margaritas is a big part of that. Yeah, I mean, not that I consider myself a butter snob, but the butter that I've been getting from you is definitely a step up from my run-of-the-mill supermarket butter. So I, I I can see the difference. It's also nice to know that when you're getting ingredients, you're getting the same stuff that you use at the restaurant, mm-hmm. um, which you know always seems to taste a little bit better. Mm-hmm. Um, now, I don't want to get into the to the actual numbers um but if you could and whatever you feel comfortable with relative business wise um how have you seen the success of the pantry and now that you're a couple couple weeks in compared to the normal run of business is it enough is it something where it's a band-aid until things can get back to normal um, and if other people are looking to get into the pantry as a way to reopen that pantry business model, is it something that's worth it for everyone to try? Yeah, I think it really depends on your your location and your neighborhood. Each one of the stores, general stores now, is performing differently. So Hollywood, um, as I mentioned, was the first one that we opened. That's where we have the longest um, time we have been in that community and people know us and they trust us and that business is up 10% from last year, same time last year. So we've actually seen, we did see a dip, you know, right after we had to close while we were figuring things out. But as we have, we quick, I think the, the quick pivot as well was helpful because we quickly, quickly inserted ourselves into people's minds and trying to create new routines. So I yeah. think that was really helpful. Um, but Hollywood has definitely has shockingly seen growth. Um, even though we've had, haven't been able to serve anyone in house and we had to cut off our catering program, which just comes out of there. So that was, it's just been a delight to watch that, you know, how robust that location still you know remains. So um, our second location to open was Highland Park. We're a little bit newer to that community and um, we have reduced hours there and we have seen about a 20% drop from last this time last year. Um, and then Playa, as you know, we just, oh, we closed that for five weeks. We just opened last week, um, the general store over there. And I think it'll grow, but it's, you know, it's, it's a business community with residential. So it doesn't have the density of the population that we have in a location like Los Feliz. So I think that will serve more as a bandaid to keep us, you know, help us get through this and also to keep our team employed. And we haven't laid off a single employee. So we have been able to, you know, we're very, very lucky and fortunate to be able to keep people employed. I mean, that's amazing. That, that alone speaks to the effort you're putting in 
um, because we all know that the restaurant industry is hurting, especially um, the workers and the owners. And so it's great that you're able to, to keep it going. Um, and beyond just keeping it going, you've also been able to be stable enough to also provide some, some meals and some charity work, um, on a couple different fronts. And the first one I wanted to talk about was Homestay for Hospitals. You'd mentioned in the first part of the show that the Hollywood location is near, um, a bunch of hospitals. And I know that, uh, when Anna went the other week, she said that there were so many nurses and doctors, uh, socially distancedly safe lined up out front, uh, getting food and things like that. But I'd love to talk about the details of Home State for Hospitals, how it got started, and how much you've been able to raise and how many meals you've been able to serve. Yeah, thank you. We, um, those are our neighbors in our community. We have them in our hearts and minds at all times, just like so many of us do when we're thinking about the people that are keep, keeping us healthy and putting themselves in the front lines and just thinking about like how difficult that is for them and and how scary it must be. So we, you know, they, just like everyone else, we have been thinking about them and thinking of ways we can help them. And it was just like this really natural conversation we started having, like, how can we play a role? Like, of course we want to do anything we can to help them. Let's ask our community to get involved and see, I'm sure other people, we were, we were sure that other people were also looking for ways to support the, the healthcare community. So we kind of quickly, um, came up with an idea to send a, just uh, an email out to our to our. Um, I think we have like fifteen thousand email subscribers and twenty three thousand Instagram followers. So we sent a message out to them, and we said, um, you know, this is what we'd like to do. We'd like to raise money. If you want to contribute, um, ten dollars will provide a meal, including tax and delivery. So we put that out there. And I think the first donation came in in 30 seconds and we just were like our hmm. eyeballs popping out of our heads. We couldn't believe it. We we're like, Oh my gosh, first of all, thank you for reading the newsletter. Secondly, thank you so much for contributing. I mean, it was just like, yeah. it felt like a really collective effort. Um, we got donations from near and very far. We've gotten donations from other countries, from other cities. And it's just been, it's been a really rewarding experience for our entire team that, so the morning that we launched it, we all woke up to an email to our general inbox and it was a message from uh, a husband of a nurse in a Los Angeles hospital. And he said, my wife loves, my wife loves home state. She has been working, you know, 18 hour shifts and her and her, department are feeling really scared and she can't even see our twin daughters when she comes home. And I just, he said, they're, they're getting, they're falling into a depression and they, I really would love to do something to brighten their day. If there's anything that home state can do, you know, it's her, it's her favorite spot. And so for me, like, and for all of us, a whole team, you know, we all were like, okay, we were, we were already thinking about this, like, let's go. Let's, you know, it was such, it was like very motivating and invigorating to get that message and just like launch it. So we, that was the early morning. And I think we launched it around 12 PM that day. So we were able to build kind of the infrastructure and how we were going to receive um, the funds, what we would do with them. And then we started thinking, and then we, and then after about a week, I think, I think we're about just shy of $20,000, 
Um, Amazing. Yeah, it is. So we have just, we, we, we have three, um, we looked before we launched it, we looked for partners within the hospitals that were going to be able to help bridge the communication and the coordination and the logistics. And so we worked with them and then we've just gotten, since we launched that program, people have found out about it and they've sent us emails and requests like, Hey, I would, my unit would love to be a part of that. And we're like, great, let's yes. send some food. It's just been amazing. I, that's, that's absolutely amazing. Um, and then I know you've also been providing food for families who are uh, closer to the food insecure spectrum of food stability, working with local schools and things like that, providing enchiladas and different meals. How did that get started and how has that been set up? Well, I have to give major props to um, our Congress, um, our local, uh, city councilman's Gil Cedillo's office has been extremely instrumental and active with his efforts. His office has been focused on supporting the small businesses in their district and also supporting food insecure families. So they have been, I'm just really impressed by, by their focus on both and how they were able to unite and connect us with, um, with families. So the first thing they did was um, they, we were able to provide gift cards to families in the district in need and this is at our Highland Park location. And so then the families who would receive the gift card would then come in, be able to use that for groceries. And that was just, you know, you're ta- again, talking about basics. You're talking about milk and butter and eggs. Um, and then shortly after that, his um, Gil Cedillo's office reached out to us again, um, partnering with an organization called Para Los Niños for the Children. And we were asked to feed 200 families every Friday for the next six weeks. And we, of course, said yes. And we just had our second Friday of um, making 200 pans of enchiladas. So 200 dozen enchiladas um, for families in need. So it's a, a tray of enchiladas with um, a side of charro beans. So it's been... Um, you know, that's been great. I mean, that's, that's just absolutely incredible. The amount of meals and community that you've been able to foster with people both in the community and from abroad. Um, and you know, it's crazy now to start hearing Garcetti and California as a whole starting to think about reopening and phase two of, of where we are with, um, social distancing and, and, and the pandemic. And, you know, I'm, I can't believe I'm already starting to read things like restaurant dining rooms, reopening, obviously with new spacing and regulations, where do you feel comfortable or when will you feel comfortable in reopening in some capacity, or is it a restaurant by restaurant basis? Like if Hollywood is doing so well as it is, do you keep that as a pantry but maybe the other locations start to open up their dining room because Highland Park has the outside uh, outdoor area. Well, I think one of the things we we know is going to continue is the distancing mandate. And I don't think anyone is talking about when the distancing mandate is going to be lifted. And so I think, you know, in my mind, I start there because I think about our kitchens Mm-hmm. And going back to 
a full menu, what met the menu that we had before all of this, I know that it would be impossible to execute our full menu with any, with proper distancing. So in my mind, I don't see us reverting back to the way we were before until distancing mandates are lifted. And Mm. then really so much of it is about when the general public will feel comfortable dining out again. And so much of it is about our size of our dining rooms. Um, You know, there's so many layers and I think, it will be a long time before people really feel comfortable coming to dine in. Um, One of my mentors said to me recently, like, it's just not going to be that fun in a restaurant for a while. You know, you can open the dining room, but one of the reasons we all go out is because it's a good time. You meet people sitting next to you at the bar or it's loud, there's music, it's crowded, it's boisterous. It's just fun. And it's not going to feel fun for a, you know, and until we figure out how we can get rid of this thing. So I'm not thinking about that. I'm really present where we are right now. And I really just want to get better and better at that every day, better at that every week and make sure and and keep our team healthy and, and just keep, keep going and doing our best every day without trying to figure out what's next, because this is where we are and this is hard and I just can't really spare any of my bandwidth and my brain to think about what's next. I just, I want to settle in here because it's just a little bit, that's what I can manage right now. Yeah. I mean, I, I feel you on that. My first thoughts when I read that were, that's so exciting, immediately followed by, I don't know if I feel safe going into a dining room until there's a vaccine or, or something that is just safer than where we are right now. So it's, it's going to be some time. Um, but you know, you seem to have done so much in so little time to just reinforce and double down on what's important to you with community and service and things like that. So has there been a silver lining for you during this time? Is there something that has risen out of this situation that wouldn't have happened that you feel really positive about? Well, two things. One is our, our team is incredibly bonded. I mean, we were always close, but we are navigating life and death right now. We're navigating how to protect all the people that depend on us and their families. So I think the level that we, our team has committed to, you know, one another and the, our efforts and the trust and, you know, it's never been stronger. And I think that is a really wonderful outcome and incredible experience. Um, The other thing is that, you know, we as a company have always, you know, these really wonderful values and, you know, we're, a family, well, we're welcoming you home. We, you know, internally we talk about, you know, fostering community and being good neighbors. And I think with this experience, we have been absolutely tested to see what are we really made of. And I feel that all of those things we have talked about and, you know, put into action with our previous 
world, we have now, they've risen to the surface and they're so bold and so strong. And I feel really proud that we have lived up, you know, really met those expectations and met the, they're not just words anymore. I mean, they, they were never just words, but I think going through something like this, we all see what we're made of. And I'm, just, I'm so, so proud of our talented, hardworking team. It's just been we've we've all explored our limits and our boundaries and pushed farther than we ever thought that we could. And I think that's a really rewarding outcome of this is that we now know that we're capable of a lot, <laughs> a lot more than we thought. Yeah. Um, but yeah. And then also connecting to um, connecting to our guests in this way and, and having a really trusting, open, transparent communication I think the transparency part has been really interesting too. Like we really don't have, there's not a whole lot to hide and it just feels like we're kind of exposed, all of us and vulnerable, all of us are vulnerable, all of us are exposed and this create a lot more transparency. Amazing. Well, I cannot thank you enough for all that you've been doing and for taking the time to chat with us. If people want to follow along or get the most recent updates, where can they go? myhomestate.com or Instagram homestate. Amazing. Well, thank you so much. Uh, We have another song from the archives and then a live performance here on Snacky Tunes on heritageradionetwork.org. Pass a message to you and your lover Like a dirty bouquet with your wine I'll tie to my body some roses
This episode is brought to you by Square. We all know that this is an incredibly challenging time for our friends running restaurants and small food businesses. With social distancing in place, people are staying home and eating in, and restaurants have had to pivot to pickup and delivery only. HRN would usually be recording our podcast from our studio inside Roberta's, but since they've had to close their dining room, they've ramped up their frozen pizza production, set up a wine and grocery shop, and seen their delivery orders skyrocket. Like Roberta's, many restaurants have been changing offerings day by day as they figure out how to best serve their customers. If you run a restaurant or small business, Square has the tools to help you adapt. One of these tools is the Square online store. It lets you set up a free online ordering page with curbside pickup and local delivery so you can keep customers safe. You can deliver orders yourself or integrate with delivery partners. Its order hub lets you manage all your incoming orders in one place, no matter which delivery partners you choose to use. Square has all the tools to help you stay connected to customers, no matter where they are. See everything that's available by visiting square.com slash go slash snacky. Alex, welcome back to Snacky Tunes. It's so great to chat with you. Uh, and thank you for making the time to sit down with us and share some songs. Absolutely. Thanks for having me back. 
Of course. So, you know, musicians and artists are finding themselves with more time in their hands due to no touring or shows or getting into like a professional recording studio. How have you been dealing with this creatively and mentally? Yeah, it's it's a weird time. Um, I think... I think first and foremost, I've realized the value, uh, I mean, as if I didn't know before, but the, the true value of mental health, I think that it's just, it seems like everyone around me is really realizing the value of, of mental health and, and what they do um, to just take care of themselves. So for me, it means meditating a lot. Um, I try to meditate twice a day um, for 20 minutes um, each time. And I really feel it when I don't do it. And I skipped a couple days, a couple of my afternoon meditations this week, and I really felt it. So as far as my sort of mental health, that's that's like a number one. Um, I thought that I was going to become this runner in <laughs> like all of a sudden I didn't hate running anymore. Um, and that lasted for about three, um, jogs and, hmm. um, and then I kind of got over it again. So we'll see. Um, I, I won't be running a marathon anytime soon <laughs> from my like newfound running passion. Um, but yeah, like the value of like a, a walk is also just crucial. Um, I've uh, found myself doing uh, cardio dance classes, which, yes. which two months ago, if you would have said you will be doing cardio workouts multiple times a week, I would have laughed, <laughs> laughed in your face. Um, have, you been, have you guys been doing Ryan Huffington's? I mean, dance it, it, yes, and then um, uh, Pony Sweat has started to sneak in as oh. well. Yes, she's amazing. Yes. She, uh, wow. There, there was this one section during this past week's workout when they were doing the gossip standing in a way control, um, <laughs> which is a Snacky Tunes classic going all the way back to our DJ sets. But okay. um, she was doing this like scream, jogging, running in place, <laughs> full expulsion of emotion that really got me. I was like, oh, yeah, that really <laughs> – Really hits home. Oh, so. it's like a quarantine mood. <laughs> I know. Well, I mean, you know, and that's that's sort of the thing that's that's come out of this is like all this new creation um, and all this time to maybe make new stuff. But then there's also this extra pressure, right? Because yeah. everyone's like, you have all this time and you should be making and creating and turning out new stuff. Um, yeah. How have you been balancing both the creation and then also taking time to regenerate? Yeah, totally. You know, I've what I've really realized is this is such a wonderful time to go within and like a big part of that for me was wading through like hundreds and hundreds of demo recordings and I put together a, a collection of like 30 recordings I've made on GarageBand over the last 15 years Amazing. and like that was so cathartic for me to do. It felt so healing, you know, like you know, I, I, I love to think about creativity as not just 
you know, having to be productive and create something new from scratch. And like, I'm doing the artist's way, actually. It's this like classic book by this woman, Julia Cameron, who is my new, one of my new icons. Um, But I'm doing it with a small group of other women. And like, it is kind of about like healing your artist within. (laughs) It's like very woo woo, hippie. (laughs) But it's the best vibe. And, and like some of the, some of the weeks have homework, like bake a cake. It's like, okay. Mm. Yeah. So like, it's kind of about looking at the act of being a creator and being creative is like encompassing so many different kinds of activities. It's more than just, you know, really like the sort of capitalist, like turn something new out. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> Like the stand in one place and yell and release emotions. The, the bonus one. Oh my God. Um, the guttural release. So I've, I've really found a lot of, um, a lot of fulfillment by kind of going back and looking at, at older creations and like fine tuning Mm. them and then setting them free. And I feel like it's, um, that's, that's been awesome for me. Well, we're going to get to talking about that compilation in a little bit, but I wanted to, um, focus on the song that we used to open up today's episode, One Week in a Life, which you actually released as, and I'll use your words, a quarantine era single, um, <laughs> which I think is, I guess, quarantine core will probably be its own genre. Because um, I have heard stuff by other artists who are like, this is the music I've, uh, you know, like Pup and Death Guy for Cutie and like other bands are releasing, um, you know, solo recordings during this time. Yeah. But, I mean, obviously I have a general idea of what inspired you, but if you could share with us maybe some more of the personal insights behind the song, that'd be great. Yeah, totally. So, uh, gosh, you know, I wrote that song a couple years ago after coming back from the first time I ever played South by Southwest as like an official showcasing artist. And I felt this like very palpable re-entry into my quote unquote real life, you know, Mm. after this amazing week of just performing music and going on adventures and swimming and just like kind of falling in love with this person and seeing old friends. And it's just, it's kind of a, I guess a rumination on, it's similar to what we're going through now where Mm. when you're in, when you're so in a moment, it almost just feels like it could last forever. And it's like, Oh my God, is this my life now? (laughs) Um, But then when we're on the other side of it, you look back and you're like, Oh wait, that was just like a week in a life or like a couple weeks in a life. And that really is how life is. Like the older I get, the more I realize it's it's episodic. We have chapters. There are there are characters that play major roles in certain chapters, and then they sort of like you know fall back to the the background, and mm-hmm. someone else kind of steps in, or you know we fall in love with someone else, or we get a new job, or um, you know we take a new route. Of, I don't know. Like life just changes, and it's kind of cyclical. But it's so interesting the way that we experience time that it's it's sort of like linear and non-linear at the same time i don't know 
so that's that's a little bit about that release but um you know names have been changed to protect the innocent as oh. of my songs <laughs> but um no one's innocent during south by southwest <laughs> come on we've all we've oh all been my, there oh my gosh well i will share that there this was this one year in 2018 um, it was like the big year where like, I feel like experiential was really like exploding. Mm-hmm. Like, HBO was doing some Westworld pop-up at this carnival site just outside of Austin. And they chartered all these buses to bring people out there. And my friend and I thought that we could just sneak in. So we drove out there and um, got totally rejected. This like, this, this hardcore security guard would not let us in. So we ended up just going down the road. I think we were out in Maynard, Texas. We ended up going to this, um, this like honky tonk bar and just dancing to like the loudest Tejano music. And it was just like not South by, but it was just one of those perfect Texas adventures that happens. Um, Yeah. That was pretty magic. I love it. Um, well, let's take a let's take a quick musical interlude. I believe the first song you have for us is "Giant," um, which was one of the uh, singles off off uh, the compilation, which we'll be talking about next. Um, do you have a story behind it, or oh, do you just want to yeah. play it for us? Yeah. Um, so "Giant," "Giant" is another song that was kind of born in Texas. Um, I wrote it out in Marfa at the Hotel Paisano when I was on a road trip. Um, and, oh, interestingly enough, it sort of features the same, um, sort of an another adventure with the same person, but I kind of mm. reimagined it against the backdrop of, like, what does kind of a Hollywood romance look like when it's just far, far, far away from Hollywood? Yeah, sure. Yeah. Awesome. All right, well, here we go. Alex Rose slash Canyon Counterpoint playing giant here on Snacky Tunes on heritageradionetwork.org. Saw her that 
awesome song. Love it. Uh, although the names have been changed, I have a feeling that if the same character is popping up in two songs, that that person probably has a good idea of <laughs> who they are. I think the Venn diagram gets very small. Um, oh my gosh, I know. I love that um, maybe I'll start a rumor mill on my uh, in my Instagram comments. Like, uh, guess who this one's about? <laughs> So we alluded to it uh, before um, the song, but you have recently started releasing music under the name Canyon Counterpoint. Um, What is the story behind that change? Because as far as we've known you, it's always been Alex Rose. I know. And when I came and played with y'all all all those many years back at Roberta's, Mm -hmm. which was such a fun day. Oh, um, great day. Great day. Uh, yeah, I, you know, I released music as Alex Rose for many years and obviously still am Alex Rose. Um, that hasn't changed. The thing is, there's this, there's this kind of pop rapper named Alex Rose who like exploded mm. onto the scene a couple years ago. And um, my algorithm on Spotify kept getting confused with his. So the sort of like recommended artists for me, Alex Rose were like, very skewed and weird. And um, it just, it got a little bit convoluted. And I realized that, you know, I think, I think it was just a little nudge I needed from the universe to kind of carve out my own spot that, um, that I can really own. So I did kind of a lot of soul searching about it, but honestly, this, I thought I was going to call it date date shake. I had all these other names for the band and that's very Palm Springs. It is. It's very Palm Springs, but I was like, Oh my God, it's so PS. Like, Also it sounds like, it sounds like a fun dance that you might yeah. do. Like date yeah. shake. Maybe a little too TikTok. <laughs> totally. Uh, it's so funny. Um, so yeah, Canyon Counterpoint just stick just stuck. I was driving by Counterpoint Records on um on Franklin Avenue and right right there in kind of like in Beachwood Canyon and I was like, "Oh wait, that like this that that's it. That's it. Canyon Counterpoint." Okay. So with I don't know what the right term is, not pseudonym. I guess stage name or artist name, mm-hmm. but by changing it away from your your birth name or your more familiar name, mm. is there some sort of freedom in not having it be your name and being something as a bit of a barrier? Do you feel that mm. you could write different songs or record differently with this new personality or this this new naming of yourself? You know, it's really interesting idea. I like kind of around the same time, like a bunch of a bunch of things changed in my life. I actually decided to give up alcohol about nine months ago too. And, um, you know, really feel like I'm kind of going through this really clarifying period in general. And part of it is that my, my process for releasing music and identifying as an artist has gotten just more fluid and more comfortable, um, Hmm. which is like a really beautiful, um, uh, symptom or outcome of that. And yeah, I I think that I do. I think that I can just let it be this project. Like I can have this project and it's Canyon Counterpoint and it is me, but I've always 
like I've felt for a long time that I don't really own these songs. Like mm. I am kind of an instrument and a vessel for them to come through me. And so they are me and they're made by me. And I I help translate the ideas, but it's kind of beautiful to give them like a vessel to live in. Um, they're Canyon Counterpoint songs. So um, yeah. And, and I kept going back to that. I don't, I'm not trying to be like the most pretentious person on your podcast and try to quote Shakespeare right now, but like, Drop, oh, Drop some bill. <laughs> Old Billy. Old Billy. Um, yeah. I mean, a rose by any other name would still smell as sweet. So I'm kind of like, you know, it doesn't really matter what, what the name of the songs are. They're still the same songs. And mm. so like, well, we talked a little about this in the first part and you played giant off these demos. Um, but let's talk about this because you've had some time to reflect. You've had some time to curate and you had some time to look back because these demos cover 15 years, 2005 yeah. to 2020. So obviously, um, you know, you had a lot to dig through, I'm sure. Um, what, what was your editing process? How did you feel that you wanted to approach this? What story were you trying to tell by putting all these songs together? Yeah, it's good. I, I think for me, I wanted to really look at a physical collection of all of this creativity from so many years. And it's almost like I was looking for the through line, which I think in a lot of ways I did find just personally um, for me. But, you know, these songs were written and recorded in in Austin and in Seattle and Brooklyn and LA and kind of all over, but they're all still me. And I think the process of putting them all together in one place, I actually started to hear the through lines myself and hear similarities from like a song I wrote 15 years ago. <laughs> like, wow. Amazing. Like that. I mean, like that was so profound to me. Um, so I got a lot, I got a, a lot out of doing it. Just like, I started to hear the songs differently. And I guess that was kind of the um, part of the intent. And also one of the songs is called a lost thing can become found again. And I like, to think that some of these songs were lost, but then I found them again and, mm. and gave them a life. <laughs> I mean, that's great. Any um, songs that were lost and you, upon re-listening, were like, you should stay lost? Oh, yes. <laughs> oh. <laughs> uh, oh, yes. I mean, <laughs> sometimes you just have to get those ideas out too, right? You have to be... You have to be like, well, maybe this is something. And then you play it and you go like, oh, that was nothing, but it's out now and there's room for something new. A hundred percent. I mean, I think Leonard Cohen was famously talked about because he released music pretty relatively slowly. And um, he's like, well, you know, I got to write a lot of bad ones to get to get to the good ones. Yeah. So I I believe that. And I don't think that anyone needs to hear the song I wrote called Heavy Metal Heart. Or black mm. metal heart or whatever it was. Oh my Some god! They lost. Um, well, let's hear uh, another song. Uh, I believe the next one's a new one, Melrose. Yeah, 
This one almost made the cut, but I wasn't quite happy enough with the, the demo I'd recorded. So for now, it is yet unreleased. Um, but yeah, this is a, a new song kind of written in 2020. Well, you know, whenever we get a song that's never been released, we like to call it a Snacky Tunes exclusive. Okay. So here we go. <laughs> Melrose by Canyon Counterpoint, live world premiere on Snacky Tunes on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. say we have another introduction to the wonderful snacky tunes exclusive lineup and melrose is uh i'm happy to add it to the list very 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 nice song i'm proud to play it for you guys so um obviously there's no touring and the biggest thing about touring or playing out live um, that I always loved was seeing your friends, getting into it with the community, um, sharing ideas, just being around people. Um, 
but that doesn't exist anymore and it's not going to for a while. But how are you and the people in your community, how is your creative circle or friends or fans, uh, what are you doing right now and how are you connecting? Yeah, you know, it's going to sound obvious, but Instagram, um, Mm. it's really, it's really been kind of a beautiful place to reconnect with people. And also, so my friend Whitney, um, who puts music out under the name, they live, um, actually has an album coming out tomorrow. And she and I have been putting together these little variety shows and broadcasting live on my Instagram and playing songs for each other and then welcoming other friends to come and play songs too. And it's some of the most joy that I've experienced in these really weird stay at home times have been through those Instagram broadcasts. Like it's such a specific kind of energy. It really does almost reference what it feels like to be at a real show and it's kind of unpredictable and chaotic and the technology almost never works perfectly. And <laughs> like, you know, it's like, Oh my God, it's like I'm at the echo too. Like it's fine. Yeah. Ooh, shot fired. <laughs> Look, every, every female musician has, um, has a story about a sound guy. Um, uh, so yeah. it's, but it, it, it has been really fun. And I think that the beauty of that is that, we're able to play shows with people who are far flung thousands of miles apart. Like that's cool. We can't do that normally. Like I can't usually be on a bill with my friend Angelica who's in New Jersey. Like that's, that's pretty cool. So um, as far as building community that that's been a real big one. Yeah. I actually have found that the virtual events do you have a larger reach, even though it is a, a singular shot? Um, yeah. But there is something about that, you know, and going back to what we talked about, the Ryan Heffington dance classes, mm-hmm. you know, you see people from all over the world coming together in a way that people wouldn't have thought of coming together before for something that is a smaller event, you know, that is yeah. not like celebrity driven or pop culture movement. It's just people being like, we're going to gather here in this new spot because we all have the same interests from wherever we are on the corners of these earth. It is really cool. And the things that websites like Bandcamp have been doing by doing these like big fundraiser days where they give up their revenue share and everything goes directly to the artist, like that is community in action. And it looks different than what it normally looks like, but it's, it gives me a lot of hope and it reminds me about how adaptable people are. That's really cool. (laughs) Yeah. The adaptability has been pretty inspiring. So as the pandemic stretches out and no one knows right now how long we'll be in the situation, but it is foreseeable for at least a few more months what are you going to be doing? So you released this compilation. Do you feel the pressure to do anything else to, to make new stuff? Or do you just want to ride this out for a little bit and then start thinking about some new songs? You know, I actually have a bank of <clears throat> songs I recorded in 2019. So I have, um, I have a couple more in my back pocket that I, I've just been sort of feeling out the right times to release them. And 
I've got an idea for my next single. So I'll probably release something in the early summer months and just kind of keep putting out new music. I mean, I think one of the luxuries of being a completely independent musician right now is that I'm not really beholden to anyone except me and the universe and the energy that I choose to work with. And that gives me a lot of flexibility. Um, So if I'm looking on the bright side, it's like, well, cool. If I wanted to release the song tomorrow, I could. (laughs) And so like, I I think I'm just going to keep feeling that out um, because that's been feeling really good and, and correct. (laughs) Well, that's awesome. Um, If people want to, check out the music or follow along, where can they go um, to either catch a live show or hear releases or help support? Yeah, um, definitely following me on Instagram is probably, it's the social media that I actually put all my Mm -hmm. updates on. So it's at Alex Rose BB, like baby, but BB because the internet. Um, (laughs) And then also my Bandcamp is alexrosebb.bandcamp.com. Amazing. And um, speaking of Bandcamp, we have one last song, uh, Crescent Heights, which was released on Bandcamp on May 1st, and it's coming out, I guess it'll be out by the time this airs, but May 8th on Spotify. And it's a yeah. new song, which you just were talking about, because you wanted to put up a new song, and you said, uh, <laughs> F the man, burn the man down. <laughs> Empire Records forever. (laughs) Um, But what is the story behind Crescent Heights? So Crescent Heights is about, oh, a love and a mystery sort of at golden hour um, on a pool deck overlooking the Hollywood Hills. (laughs) Mm. All right. Well, you'll leave us with that intrigue in the song. Uh, Thank you so much. Thank you to Breezy from home state. Uh, thank you to everyone who's tuned in and supported. Uh, thank you to everyone at heritage. Here we go. One last live song from Canyon counterpoint here on snacky tunes on heritage radio network.org. We'll see you next time. You
We talk about food. We talk about music with musical dudes. Finger on the pulse, snacky tunes. This program is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.